And I'd ask everybody else, would you please bow with me in prayer one more time? Gracious Father, how good to know that we cannot wear out your ears, that we, as your followers, can call out to you anytime, even those times when we don't know the words to say. And I know that situation has come upon many that would be with us here. When we don't have the words, we thank you that the Holy Spirit would pray on our behalf. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. And we thank you that your love, we thank you that you're patient. And we thank you, God, for your mercy. We would ask now as we come to the scriptures that you would be clearly present here. Would you allow us, God, as we look at your perfect word to see a message that it would mean for us? We thank you for how relevant the word of God is for us. We thank you for the truth that is there that will never change. And we thank you, God, how we can take it in and we can be encouraged by it. We pray that would be the case today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, I was stopped to get gas at um, a gas station. It was after dark. It was here in town. And as I pulled into the gas station and was standing there at the pump, something caught my vision in, in my peripheral vision. It wasn't something that was standing out strong. It was just something moving in the dark. And as I looked over to what it was, there was a car that was pulling in in the darkness that didn't have their headlights on. And they pulled in the gas station there and they pulled around to one pump and something was wrong there, so they pulled around to a different pump. And as I saw the individual, I pumped my, I pumped my gas and went and paid. And as I saw the individuals, an um, older lady who got out and she was trying to pump her gas, I wanted to walk over and, and let her know that she was driving without her lights on. I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want to appear to be scary. Would I scare some of you guys if I approached you at night in a gas station? Some of you might jump, I guess, a little bit. I didn't want to scare her. So I walked over to her and I got her attention in a non-threatening way as much as I can. And um, I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that you were driving when you came in and your headlights were not on at all. And uh, she was very appreciative. She was thankful for that. I had a little bit of a tug within me. Should I go and say something or, or should I not? You know, they turn their car off, so perhaps when they pull back out, they'll know to turn their lights on. And so that might be the case. And I made the decision. It wasn't that hard of a decision. Just to go over and just to give a friendly voice saying, your lights were not on. And there's a whole lot of in, in that message. When you pull out of here next time, make sure your lights are on. If your lights are not on, there's a danger that is there, not only to yourself, but to others that are around you. There are some brothers and some sisters that you might be connected with that are moving through life and they're heading towards a possible catastrophe. They're heading towards something that could ruin an aspect of their life. As we approach our text today that we're going to look at, there are a number of applications that we can pull out of it. Let me give you some of them. I'll reference them. And I love it when somebody comes and says, from our study, I went and read a little bit more on this. Or it kind of applied to this topic. So that, that um, sparked me to jump into another study. Here are some possible ideas that you might get from our time in God's Word today that we might not spend the most time on. 
There's going to be a reference to the individual life of men and women that know God and the fragrance that goes up to God from your life. That could be a whole sermon there, right? What kind of a fragrance is going up to heaven from your life? There's also an application from different lifestyle habits and those that are Christians having a habit, a habit that would cause someone to ask a very serious question. Am I genuinely a child of God? We're not going to go into detail in our time here this morning. We are going to talk about this in my ABF hour. Oftentimes we will follow up the sermon with our group and we're going to talk about this idea. How much assurance should we give someone that they are a Christian if their lifestyle reflects something that is not a Christian? And that's fairly vague, but that's for a reason. That's an interesting topic, one that's debated over the years. Last night, my wife asked me what the sermon was about today, and I said it's about sexual sin is what we're going to talk about. The warnings to the church against sexual sin against the perversion of the mind. Now, as we jump into this topic that is hopefully going to be an encouragement, I don't want some of you to just tune it out because you don't struggle in that area. I think there will be applications, I know, from our, from our what can you do section and, um, and from a couple other areas. I know there will be applications for, I think, everybody from our time in God's Word today. Let me give a little bit of a foundation that you need to know, and if you've been around for our Ephesians study, you're familiar with this, but this is going to be helpful as we look at these specific verses. First of all, we've learned in Ephesians that believers have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, and I don't want you to rush past that because we sing about it and we talk about it, but you need to grab a hold of the seriousness that if you're a child of God, it was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. That horrible crucifixion that took place, that was for you. You have been purchased, not with gold and not with silver, you've been purchased by blood. From our study in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we have seen that we are chosen. And hopefully an encouragement to you is going to be the fact that if you're a child of God, you are sealed, sealed unto the day of redemption. So what does that mean for you when we look at sin? It means that a lifestyle of sin no longer fits you. Before you came to Jesus Christ, it fit you just fine. That was something that you were very comfortable wearing. Sin does not fit you, and not only that, but sin does not rule over you. So you and I do not have to spend the rest of our days discouraged by our faults. We don't have to spend the time that we have here in this world in a dark place. We don't have to spend the rest of our time with some addiction, thinking that we cannot get over that. But instead of a dark place, that's not where God wants you. Instead of discouragement, Instead of begging for your life to be over so you can be in heaven and no longer struggle with this, whatever you struggle with, you instead can have a life that is preoccupied by your champion, by the Lord Jesus. That's what God wants for you. I would suggest to us today that there are different voices that are calling out to you. 
And just as I went up to that woman and I gave a voice of warning, you need to turn your lights on. There is danger ahead if you don't have your lights on while you're driving your car down the road. Some of you are going to have a voice calling out to you. There will be good voices. There will be the voice from God's word. God's word acts as a mirror and sometimes that is so convicting to me, I'll, I'll read it and I'll see where I fall short. There will be voices from a brother or sister that cares, and maybe that's going to be your application from the message today. Maybe you need to be a brother or a sister who cares about someone enough to go over and say, you're driving in a dangerous way. You're heading towards something that could be disastrous in your life. And I would ask this question, which, which voice are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Because not only is there a good voice that you can listen to that's trying to give you a warning, but there is also a bad voice. There is one that is shouting out to you that is combating what the word of God says. And I want to use one Bible illustration to start us in our time before we get to our text where we'll be in um, for the, the meat of our message. But this Bible illustration that I want to give you is about David. And when you think about David in his life, there might be many things that come to your mind. But when you think about David, really there was one instance that kind of put him on the map, right? There was one time that all of us can, our, our mind can go to, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you can go to one instance that kind of set him apart. And it was that time when David fought Goliath. And when I talk about a voice that is calling out that you're going to choose to listen to or to not listen to, I want to mention this giant named Goliath. Because he was a voice that was shouting. He was one that was calling out. And when he gave a message that was anti-God, there were followers of God that were shaking in their boots, literally. There were followers of God that forgot about the power of their God, what God had done to deliver them from slavery, what God had done to get them to that point, and this voice that was shouting out that was anti-God was being listened to by many of the children of Israel. To the point where they were all scared to death, wondering what was going to happen. The enemy of God had a voice that made God's people doubt God's promises and doubt God's protection. If you want to write it down, it's in 1 Samuel 17. You can read it later on, although many of you have told this story when teaching your children or maybe teaching a class. God's people were in a standoff for 40 days, the Bible tells us. And for those 40 days, this voice that would shout out would come out in the morning and it would come out in the evening and give the same message. Goliath would come out representing the Philistines, this giant who was um, over nine feet tall. I think Goliath, when he went on his tiptoes, could have his head touch the rim of a basketball hoop. That's how tall he was. And we're not talking about having to defend somebody like that in a basketball game. We're talking about taking them on in battle. 
this giant would come out with the same message in the evening and in the morning. He would say, send me a man to fight. And this would be common. Instead of having thousands and thousands killed, get your two best warriors out there to fight. And he belittled God. He belittled the power of God. And those that had heard of God's power and had seen God's power, they listened to the wrong voice. They listened to Goliath. And he would taunt them. Goliath would taunt the Israelites in the same way that some of you has a sin that taunts you. A recurring sin. A sin that you cannot seem to get victory over. A taunting, tenacious, unrelenting voice. And some of you have forgotten about the power of your God. You've forgotten about the power of the cross. Forgotten about when you got saved and what God did. All those victories that have been won. That there's no explanation besides God, right? And I hope you have those. I hope you're paying attention for those God stories. No such thing as coincidence. No such thing as luck. This happened to God be the glory. Listen to that voice. Listen to the voice of those around you that would give a testimony of the might and power of God and the victory that we can have as his people. Goliath would taunt those that day. And sin would taunt some of you Sin would tell you this message, Jesus' blood doesn't work for this part of your life. Maybe you can give him this and this, but Jesus' blood isn't going to help you in this area. Don't listen to that voice. Your sin that would taunt you to say, I own you. You've tried everything you can and can't get away from me. Don't listen to that voice. A voice that would say, you can't break this addiction. Don't listen to that voice. Goliath has a sermon to preach if you'll listen carefully. If you'll listen carefully, he was giving a very clear message that day. And then came an unlikely champion, David. David came to the front lines and with this taunting giant there, he hears the message. And in a sense, David looks around at all these people that knew God and knew God's power And really, he says this. He says, are we really okay with this, guys? Are we really content to let this go on any longer? The Israelite men shook with terror when the giant spoke, and some of you have shaken with terror that your sin will not leave you alone. The mindset of those soldiers was, we are no match for this giant. And David went down, collected five smooth stones from a brook. And the Bible tells us that when David fought the giant, he ran toward the giant. And when that rock hit him in the middle of the forehead, he fell down dead. But that's not the end of it. That's when it goes from maybe rated PG to PG-13 as he goes and grabs that giant's sword and cuts off the head. Why did he do that? To let everybody around know the victory of the Lord. When you listen to the right voice, you can have this promise of victory. And I know it's not fun to talk about our sin, but
but there might be someone who needs to know the victory that you have gotten over a sin. You need to hold up what represents that victory. Show it to those around you and praise God. Jesus has finished the work. He completed the work on the cross. We are not just delivered from hellfire. We are delivered from our sin. But it drives us to have to do something. Sin has been defeated. And sin has no resurrection power like the Lord Jesus Christ had. And Jesus has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so while you have a part in this to obey, to follow God, to fight, understand we're in a battle, Understand that the battle has been won at the cross. In order for you to approach sin correctly, you're going to need to know how your father looks at your sin, okay? How does God look at your sin? When he looks at you and your sin that you think you can never get victory over, how does your father look at your sin? And I would suggest to you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, that he sees your sin not on your shoulders, But he sees your sin being as moved as far as the east is from the west. That's how God looks at you, not because of how great you are, but because of how great Jesus is and the work that was done on the cross. Some of you have been listening to the enemy shouting at you much longer than 40 days, much more than just at morning and at evening. And you'll wonder if you can beat it. All of that to take us to our text. If you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read verse number 1, and we'll just cover the first six verses today. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We'll stop right there. The basis for imitating God is... We are his children. I don't have to stretch too far to get you to understand that illustration. If you have seen a young child acting like their parent, doing what their parent does, then you'll understand this. The basis for imitating God is that we are his children. This identity should be one that you hold very dearly. The identity that the Bible calls you a beloved child of God. Hold on to this because it's in that identity that you can have victory over sin. John 1.12 says, As many as believed on him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Can I suggest to you that one of the voices that would call out to you that you need to not listen to would say this, What gives you the right to think that you can stop acting in this way? What gives you the right to think that you can have victory over this area that you've never gotten victory over in all these years? What gives you the right? Write down this reference. John 1, 12. As many as believed on him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, it told us that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. You are adopted. Look at verse number two. 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, as a fragrant offering and, uh, and sacrifice to God. You and I are to walk in love. And there's a key element that's going to come from us walking in love. Now, before I give you that element, can I ask you if you remember, there's one underlying theme over the past chapter that's been there. It's that theme of unity. Unity in the church. We've been talking about this. If a church family is going to have unity, verse number two applies here very clearly. We are to walk in love. And a key element to walking in love as a follower of God is going to be that we're an imitator of God. And what is the clearest and best picture that we can follow of God? None other than God the Son. God incarnate. He walked in this world and he showed us what we should be. That's what verse 2 says there. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering. That is our example. Who is the best pattern that we could possibly have to walk in a way that God wants us to? It is Jesus Christ. And so if we are to walk in love, we are to walk as Jesus walked. It's exactly what 1 John 2 tells us. In verse 8, if we say we abide in him, is that you? Is that your testimony today? If we say that we abide in him, we ought so to walk even as he walked. Is that too high of a standard? No. That's a command. Christ is our pattern. We are to love as he loved. And that, listen, regarding this area of unity, if you're going to love as Christ loved and you're going to have unity in a local assembly, it means you're going to have to have a reason to show love. It's easy peasy to show love to people that you're not that close with and just maybe a friend's relationship. But when you start to get into it, maybe a project or, 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 or something that is going on together, you're serving together, what's going to happen is you're going to step on each other's toes. Maybe I should just say it this way. You're going to get your toes stepped on. You're going to get offended. If you are not able to forgive then it's going to be very, very shallow, the unity in that church. I know that's a lot to ask, to make yourself vulnerable, to allow yourself to be hurt, and then to forgive. That's the strength of the church. We have to do this. Now, we we, we need to back up to chapter 4 and verse number 32 if we're going to love as he loved. Would you read it with me, please? The last verse in chapter 4. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. And then what's the first word in chapter 5? Therefore. Christ is our example. The love that we are to imitate is a forgiving love. Okay. It might not seem like it, but verses 1 and 2 are the positive part of the message, okay? Okay. We find a positive teaching here in verses 1 and 2, and now it takes a sharp turn. And whenever we find, whenever we find something that God has established, and I put this on the screen for you because it's a truth that you need to hold on to. 
Whenever we find something that God has established, we will always find that Satan works to counterfeit that. Maybe I should qualify it in this way. Whenever God gives us something good, the devil counterfeits it. The devil does not come to us in a red suit which pit with, with a pitchfork and with horns. That's not what he does. The devil is a master counterfeiter. He wants to look as good as possible to you because none of you are going to turn from your lifestyle to going immediately into something that is just wicked and horrible and awful. But what can happen is you can see something that is good and you can allow yourself to fall for the lie. The devil counterfeits something like sex, which is good. And we have to even be guarded when we say the word, don't we? Can you say the word sex in a room of people without lowering your voice? You see, God gave us that. And yet in the world we live in, we have to be guarded. We have to be careful because the devil has counterfeited it. The area here is the area of fornication, sexual sin. Let me read verses three and four. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. If God's love and the love of God's children is self-sacrificing, don't miss this, if the love that God gives and the love that we are to share to one another, if our love is supposed to be self-sacrificing, if our love is supposed to be forgiving and unconditional, then what's the devil going to make it look like? The devil will make love look like this. He'll make it look selfish, centered on me. He will make love look unforgiving. And he will make love something that is conditioned on what a person gets out of it, not what someone gives to it. In this area of sex and the devil having so much success in counterfeiting it, it might surprise some of you if you've not spent a whole lot of time in the Bible to see how many times this area of sexual sin is referenced. It is referenced again and again throughout the scriptures like we're coming across here in Ephesians 5. I have a practice in my life of my personal devotions of going through a proverb a day. It is referenced in the Proverbs so much I'll be going through it and I'll go, oh, again, here we go again. It's talking about sexual temptation, talking about the consequences of not doing right in this area. And I want to give us two reasons for why sexual sin is so damaging and also um, two reasons for why God constantly calls it out in the Bible. Two reasons for that. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. And this goes right to the title of our message. Polluting God's gift of sex takes something that is good for those within the context of marriage and makes it something that is dark and shameful. Polluting God's gift of sex takes something that is good within the context of marriage and makes it something that is dark and shameful. The word casual sex, where'd that come from? It's not in the Bible. Casual sex is a parody of the real thing. So imagine if you're thirsty, okay? Imagine if you're thirsty and you want some water to drink. 
When you go to get some water, you want some clean, pure water. We are blessed to live in a day like that. My wife and I were out to eat not too long ago here in town, and we were both having water uh, with our meal at a restaurant here. And as we were there and both drinking our water, my wife, I, I saw a look on her face that was, she was terrified about something it looked like. And she had an immediate response. And as we, looked, as we looked in her cup there, on the inside of the cup, something must have come from the dishwasher and had gone and fixed itself to the inside of that cup. And they filled up the cup with ice and with all water. And as soon as she saw that, she was repulsed. She said, oh, and you know, you know what you do with your mouth? You try to get something out of your mouth that's not, maybe not there. You know what I'm talking about. Ah, that. She took it down and she looked at it and, you know, I think it was a straw wrapper that maybe got stuck on there is what I think. She might have thought it was something worse. I don't know. When you want something pure to drink, do you want to go and get something that's muddy? Something that's dirty? That's the idea. And when God gave us sex, he gave it to us because he loves us and he wants us to have that. And the devil has counterfeited it and the world has taken it and made it into something dirty and shameful. Reason number two of why God references this so often, pollution of God's gift of sex creates strongholds and brings people into bondage through addiction. Involvement in something like this outside of the way God told us to have it will never satisfy the urge. And you say, well, I'm human. I'm only human. I've got these urges. You will never have those urges satisfied. Um, how many of you get poison ivy fairly easily? Would you raise your hand, please, if you get poison ivy? Hold them up there just for a second. Okay, I do. I get poison ivy. Okay, not too many of us. Sometimes you've got to avoid that. I remember when I was a kid getting the poison ivy and my mom would cover me with lotion. It was this pink lotion when I was a kid for some reason. I would get it so bad. And the main problem with the poison ivy that we get is the itching. It itches so bad. And sometimes, you, maybe you're strong enough, you cannot scratch it. You don't have to. The problem comes is when you scratch it, does the itch go away for very long? Oh boy, it does not. You scratch that itch and it gets worse. It gets harder. I had a friend uh, years ago, was a coworker of mine, and he would get poison ivy. And he had his own solution for how to get rid of poison ivy. He, and I remember, he got it on his leg one time. Must have been walking in the woods in shorts. He got this poison ivy on his leg. And what he would do to solve that problem is he would scratch that poison ivy. He would scratch it until it bled. He would scratch it so much. And then once it was, it was bleeding and it was like that, he would take alcohol and he would pour the alcohol on it just like that. Tough guy, right? And he didn't scratch it anymore after that. And I saw that. And in my head, I think, I think I'm smarter if I don't scratch it. I think I'm smarter if I just trim my fingernails back. Don't scratch it. Just like scratching something that will create more of an itch, we will not be satisfied. That urge will not be satisfied. And if no one has told you recently, if you are hiding something in this area, it's going to be revealed. I know you're clever. I know there's dark places you can go. But I want to let you know as someone who loves you, if you're hiding something in this area, it will come out. 
And the reason it will come out if you're a child of God is because God loves you. He loves you enough not to allow your sin to remain covered. He chastises those who are his. It will come out sooner or later. Be sure your sin will find you out. Let it not be said about you that your life is marked by a filthy mind. Let it not be said about you that your life is marked by something that is twisted, taking the normal and twisting it into something that is perverted. The double meaning. Years ago when I was working um, in management at FedEx, I was getting some training and the other manager was teaching me something and he used a reference. And it wasn't a dirty reference, but when I heard it, I, I, it, it just it rubbed me the wrong way. And I needed to repeat it back. And he said, it's okay, you can say it out loud like that. Now, I wasn't saying anything dirty, but in my head was this. Here are people around me that are watching my life. And if I very casually use this double meaning saying, what kind of a message am I sending? Brother or sister, if you're not letting anybody know you're a Christian, you don't have a light that's shining, then I get it, you don't care. But if you call yourself a Christian... If you wear that banner, follower of Jesus Christ, do not let this be named among you. Do not be known as a person that has a dirty mind. And we have to fight this. Look at verses five and six. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Who is it that is barred from the kingdom of God? Who is it that cannot make it into that entrance? It is those who are still in Adam. You see, when we read this verse, there's a temptation to think that those in Christ can be taken out of Christ. But those who are in Christ can never be barred from the kingdom. Now we understand that the believer might fall into one of these sins. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul is writing it to this church. We might fall into one of these sins. But here's the point. It's very simple. It's very simple. Your life needs to not be characterized by one or more of these sins. The one whose life is characterized by any of these, and this might be a little bit strong, has no place in the kingdom of God. So if you think of someone, they call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, and their life is characterized by filthy jokes, pornography. I think I can stand on the authority of God's word here and say if their life is characterized by that, they have no part in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm saying go back, check, see if you're really a child of God. A criminal may do a good deed every now and then, but that does not characterize him. Verse number four of the book of Jude says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus. Paul would have none of this for the family of God. 
those who would agree, those who would say, well, I've got grace, so that's a license for me to do this. If that is you today, if you say, I believe in eternal security, can't lose my salvation, and so I can have this as part of my life, you need to check and see if you really understand what grace is because grace is not a license to sin. And all God's people said, amen. Listen, grab a hold of that. Praise God for his patience and his forgiveness, but you need to understand that if your life is characterized by a sin, and these are sexual sins, but you go ahead and pick it. If you're not getting victory, if you're not looking more and more like the Son of God, and less and less like the world, then you need to take very seriously what it says in verse 6 where it says the wrath of God, judgment wrath. This is not wrath that comes as correction in this world. This is instead punitive. That's what he's talking about here when that judgment is going to come. What can we do with this? What can you do? Well, I'll give you a few applications. And these are going to apply to more than just sexual sins. So whatever you're struggling with, hopefully it will help. Number one, make a habit of reflecting on God's love that's been shown to you so that you can follow Christ's pattern. And this is huge for you. I don't know if you'll get it right now or maybe if at some time in the future when you're struggling with temptation and sin or you're trying to battle it, battle that sin, if it'll click. But when you are fighting against temptation, if you will just wrap your head around how much God loves you, how much God loves you. So that's gonna take you to a place where you have to say, I'm not worthy of it. And yet he let his son be sacrificed on a cross so that I would not have to suffer an eternity in hell and so that I would not have to obey my sinful desires in this world. Make a habit of reflecting on God's love that he's shown to you. Number two, this is for you that are struggling and for you that are brothers and sisters in the fellowship. Pray. Let me click it on the screen here. Pray for the purity of men and women in your family and in the church fellowship. The year that we live in is different than 10 years ago. And can I suggest that it's not gonna get any easier to fight against this? The access that we have to sexual perversion within seconds in your hand. I can remember growing up and they would put the magazines in the very back on the top shelf so the little people couldn't reach it. Remember that? Not anymore. Don't think that it does not cross my mind that my kids can go into a school and within seconds they can have pornography in front of them by someone that has a smartphone. So you cannot say, well, I just won't have the internet in my house. You cannot say, I just won't have a computer. We have to figure out how to be in the world that we are in and have victory. And so would you pray? I'm genuinely asking you, would you pray? For those of you who, have older and have, who are older and have seen devastation, you've seen divorce come from these hidden sins, something start out very simple with it seemed like a little price tag and when you follow that road, it leads to adultery and it leads to divorce. Would you pray? Would you pray for the young people that go to church here? Would you pray for those in your family that God would guard them? Prayings, it's a discipline and it's needed. Would you go further than that? Would you tell them specifically what you're praying for? 
And that's odd, right? To go up to a young man and say, I am praying for you that you have a pure mind. They will not forget it. When that temptation comes, it might be that God will bring those very words back to their ears that you are praying for purity. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. And then finally, if you are struggling with any sin, specifically we're talking about the sexual sin, but these apply to any sin. First of all, you need to pray. Now you understand, what, now does everybody understand that God sees completely through you? There is no boat you can go on to hide from God. You can't get underneath the blankets and God can't see what you're doing. There is no place you can go where he doesn't know everything about you. So when you are praying about it, really, he already knows it. You're just admitting, I know you know about this, God. Pray about your sin. Call it what it is. Identify the sin. Identify it. Don't call it a mistake. Don't talk about others that are worse than you. The devil will give you a thousand excuses as to why you can continue to live with this. Don't make others your standard. Make Jesus Christ your standard. Identify it and then take, te- take steps to stop it. Memorize scripture. You've got to be in the scripture. Brothers and sisters, I know I sound like a broken record when I say this. For you young people, a record is a thing. It's round and they used to play music on it years ago. Get in the word. Get in the word. Don't get in the word one day a week. Get in the word every day. Do not think that if you're not struggling with some great sin that it's not going to come. Get in the word. I referenced Proverbs earlier and I love Proverbs and I have it as a habit in my life to go through a proverb daily, whatever day of the month that it is. I go through that proverb typically. Proverbs is like that fatherly advice that a mom or dad can give to a son. It's just there. It's beautiful. Brothers and sisters, get in the word. Change your thinking. Garbage in, garbage out, I said in our last study. You need to change your thinking. It might require you to do something drastic. And then also recognize that not one of us is a cookie cutter of the other. I don't have time to go too much into this, but I'm not exactly like you. We're going to have a different bent, a different struggle. There are some guys that walk down the mall and when Victoria's Secret's up here with all their advertisements, they've got to go on the other side. Some guys can't even go down that section. Other people, they might struggle in a different way or not struggle in a certain way. So don't force what is for you upon somebody else, but you're going to need to change your thinking if you're going to get victory over this. There is a voice calling out to you saying you will never get victory. And that voice is anti-God. It is anti-Bible. You might need to change the places that you go, the things that you look at. And let me just say, repetition is going to sink in. If you find yourself, you know, watching a program, you find yourself hanging around with a person, and you're thinking about the wrong things, you might need to change that. Get very practical, but recognize it. Ask someone to pray for you. God will give us victory. You know, there are so many there are so many that are preoccupied with the fear of getting caught in their sin. I know. I know some of you are scared to death that somebody's going to see the history on your computer and you're going to get caught. 
There are some that are so preoccupied with what they're struggling with, whether it be anger, whether it be pride. And every one of you knows yourself. Take these steps so that you don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy calling out saying, you know what, just get used to it. This is what it's going to be like for the rest of your life. Instead, allow yourself to be preoccupied by the voice of your champion. Jesus Christ whispering to you in the morning, saying, what are we going to do today? Not afraid of a day, but looking forward to a day. Being able to say, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Will the enemy stop? Is the enemy going to stop as long as you're here in this world? Nope. He's not. But you know what else will not stop? The promise that God gives you that you can have victory. And who is stronger? My God. My God is big and mighty. There's nothing that he has promised us that he will not follow up on. Praise God. Praise God that he didn't take us to heaven right after we were saved. Praise God that he leaves us here and would you be a shining beacon of this victory for those around you to see. Let's pray. Father, as we look to you, I understand that the Apostle Paul wrote this to this church a long time ago. And I understand that these temptations were nothing new to them and they're nothing new to us today. And I don't think the devil's going to relent in this area. That's why you've given us so much warning in the scriptures. God, I would, press, I would ask that today, those that are struggling, God, can I pray for them right now? I would ask for those who are struggling with some kind of addiction, some other kind of sin that they feel like they're just gonna have to live with that the rest of their life. God, would you make your promises clear to them? Would you allow them to see the victories that you've had in the past and why that's how you can have a victory in their life? And just as men, those Israelites, could not hear the right voice, they only heard Goliath shouting that caused them to doubt your goodness, would you allow those that would struggle with sin today to hear the right voice? Would you allow us as a loving church family to get serious? to encourage, to invest, to forgive, to carry with us a set of eyes that will look upon others with compassion and wanting to lift them up, wanting to give them a hope that is within them. We can remind them of what you've said. And God, I'd also pray for any individual, as there's a reference there, an individual who has a lifestyle characterized by sin and then that seriousness talking about the wrath of God, I would pray for any today that might hear this message. They would understand they need to be saved if they are allowing their life to be characterized by sin. I thank you that you don't, you don't pull any punches in God's word, that you tell us what it is like it is. And it's a whole lot easier for many people to go through the world and not say the word hell. But God, would you allow us as a strong church to be serious, 
hold one another up, be praying for one another. And I would pray for anyone who's not saved today that today would be the day of their salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna ask Anna if she would play through just a stanza. This is a chance for you to pray. If you're not saved, ask God to save you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and if you'll ask him to forgive you, he will make you his child. Maybe he's calling, calling you today. Whatever sin you might be struggling with, those of you children of God, talk to God about it right now.